Kia ora, I'm Katie Harris. It's February 26th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. While hundreds of people go missing in New Zealand every year, most of the time it only takes a few days or weeks before they return or police track them down. However, sadly for some families, their loved ones never return home and dozens of these missing persons cases from 1957 to 2023 remain open and active across Aotearoa. Senior crime and justice reporter Annalise has covered many of these files in her podcasts, A Moment in Crime and Chasing Ghosts, and has gone through the records to detail many of the country's active investigations. She joins us today on the front page to explain what constitutes a missing person and what happens when a body is never found. Anna, roughly how many people are missing in New Zealand right now? There's more than 40, and that is sort of a a rough number because there are something like 44 on the police official missing persons list, but there are also some that we've counted that are They've been to the coroner and they've been declared dead, but they are still missing and there's no answers as to how and when that happened. So it's definitely more than 40 people on that list at the moment. If someone's been missing for, say, you know, years and years, at what point do they get removed from the missing persons list? Is there like a set date? No, there isn't. Police will only close a case or refer it to the coroner when they feel like they have done everything they can do and there's just no further police work that will help. You know, there are a lot of cases where all roads lead to someone taking their own life or being lost in, you know, the New Zealand wilderness and in, in the in the water or in the bush, and those will get referred on to the coroner. Others, the police are very clear that there's been foul play and they get escalated to homicide investigations, but they're effectively never closed until there is just nothing else police can do to find further answers. Are there any particular old cases that are still on the books, say, from decades ago? Yeah, look, there's the very famous case of Cursa Jensen. So she was a 14-year-old schoolgirl from Napier. She went for a horse ride um, one day after school and didn't come home. Now her horse was found um, where she said she was going riding and she's just never been seen. She's never been found. Police believe she's been abducted and murdered and they had a prime suspect, but he uh, took his own life in 1992. So that one still remains open. Obviously, uh, police and Curse's family just would desperately love to find her remains after this long and get some answers. The same goes for Amberly Crookshank. She was two and a half when she went missing in Kingston uh, in 1992. So she was there visiting family friends and just vanished basically into thin air. The family was staying right beside a lake and police have like definitively ruled out that the child's not in the lake. Um, there were some pretty exhaustive searches and they're very sure she's not in the water. Um, They haven't ruled out foul play, so that one remains open. Now, another one of those historic cases that I can think of, and I think you've covered it on a moment in crime, is Jim Donnelly from Glenbrook Steel. On the morning of June 21, 2004, Jim Donnelly got up and got in his car to drive to work. Jim usually turned on his computer as soon as he got in, but on this day, something distracted him Five days later, Jim's hard hat was found near an acid vat within the mill. After the vat was drained, his work ID, palm pilot, safety glasses, credit card, cash and a work key were found at the bottom. He disappeared about 20 years ago. Can you explain why a case like that, for example, may still be open? 
Yeah, that one we spoke to the officer who holds that file at the moment and he said there's just still work that can be done and it might take one phone call from a member of the public or someone that knows something, um, but there's definitely still work to do around that possibly. And there's still things that they're yet to rule out. Jim's disappearance is a huge mystery. It's one of the strangest ones sort of on the missing persons list and his, his family would love that to be resolved as well. And there's just, I think, people that, you know, police know know what happened to Jim and they really want them to come forward. So that one, um, you know, we all hope that that one can be solved. As a seasoned crime reporter who's covered many grisly cases and missing persons, are there any cases that stick out to you that are stuck in your memory from your decades of experience here? Yeah, the Amber Lee Crookshank case um, is one, I mean, I think about that almost daily, if I'm honest. Um, we did a a podcast on her uh, six-part podcast called Chasing Ghosts, and I worked really closely with her mum. It just it, it begs belief that a two-year-old can just vanish into thin air. You know, she wasn't being watched when she went missing, but the time she was missing didn't allow her to go that far. And if she's not in the water near the house she was last seen at, then where is she? And I think that there may never be answers, but I, I really think that people out there know what happened to her and there is foul play, in my opinion. Um, the other one is Brianna Murawai, who has been missing for, you know, not that long, but is a big case. It's another one where she was with people when she was last seen and, you know, police have spoken to them, police have told her family that it's a likely homicide, but there's just, there's no evidence there, which is just perplexing. And the other one is uh, Peter Coop, who went missing in Dunedin. He was a Auckland eye doctor and he went to Dunedin for a conference, rang his wife from his hostel the night before, didn't turn up to the conference and was never seen again. Now that one's super interesting to me because police have said quite openly that they think he's faked his own death, um, that he was facing a lot of pressure from his parents who are also doctors to, you know, go into that field and very unusual for police to sort of say that, yeah, we think this guy has planned this out and done a runner so that always fascinates me because it's you know what what day if ever will he just turn up out of nowhere so that's one that's you know a mystery that um has always been really interesting in my mind yeah I just can't imagine what it would be like to be one of those families of these missing people and not have any answers as to what happened to them or where they are now you've spoken to Jasmine Gray the mother of Brianna Mudawai for a recent piece, what did she have to say about what it's like living with the pain of of losing someone but also not knowing where they are? Yeah, look, she said it's it's soul-destroying. It's it's every moment of every day in the beginning. You're just hoping they'll come home. Um, she said as a mum, she knows that Brianna's is not going to come home. So she lives every day with, you know, she has guilt. You know, she feels like she should be out searching 24-7. She feels guilt that she's got so much focus on Brianna when she has other children. She just feels sick. You know, she goes through in her head all of the time, all the scenarios of things that could have been done to her daughter. You know, Brianna's last moments, how she was killed, where her body is and what was done to her. And, you know, that must be absolutely horrendous going through. You know, you hear about a murder on TV or a trial and those details come out and your mind goes to, oh, I wonder if that happened to my, you know, my child. So she said it, it, it's just a daily struggle and it's just really, really hard and the not knowing just eats away at her, the whole family, in different ways every day.
over time, like, have you spoken to people that are, say, 10, 20 years out from losing someone and not knowing what happened to them and what impact that can have on their life? Yeah, look, I mean, in Amberlee's case, her mum was really open that over the years after Amberlee vanished, there was a drug addiction there. She just, you know, wanted to get away from everything she was feeling. You know, other people get really obsessed with trying to solve it themselves. And it just, it impacts, I guess, the trajectory of what their life would have been and what their family life would have been. You know, again, in the case of Amberlee, she's got two brothers that were born after she went missing. And I spoke to both of them and they said, you know, there is just the shadow over their life of the sister that they've never met. And they were born into this, you know, family that that has a broken part. And it's it affects everybody differently, but it's definitely something that affects them every day and, you know, in every part of their life. People often also wonder how can someone go missing in a country like New Zealand that is so small. What can you say yeah. about that? Well, look, of, of the cases where there are missing people, um, the ones where police believe there's foul play, look, it's obvious, you know, if you want to hide a body, a lot of work can go into that to making sure someone is never found. We also have to remember that we are an island. We have some absolutely stunning scenery, bush, water, lakes, uh, but also that can be really deadly. And some of those areas are really hard to get to. They're really hard to search. You know, there's there's one case of in the North Island where there's a woman called Sarah Neath who's missing and someone was uh, convicted of her manslaughter, but her body's never been found. And there are mine shafts that they're looking down or trying to find that they may never find because the environment and how the land is used has changed so much over the years. But, you know, New Zealand is a rugged little country. And while it is small, there are many, many places where you can go missing or you could potentially hide evidence of a crime. You mentioned there someone being convicted without a body being found. How rare is that in New Zealand to get a conviction over the line when there is no body? Look, there's only been three cases in New Zealand where someone's been convicted of murder. Um, obviously, Ben Smart and Olivia Hope went missing in the Marlborough Sounds and Scott Watson was convicted of killing them. Their bodies have never been found. Um, one on Christchurch recently, a guy called Michael McGrath went missing and his old school friend has been convicted of his murder. Um, again, no bodies found there. And back in 1942, there was a guy called George Horry. Now, his wife disappeared in the Waitakere Ranges the day after they got married and he was convicted of her murder. So it is rare. Um, we have a, an ongoing case here at the moment. Uh, the real estate agent, Yanfei Bao, uh, is missing. Her body hasn't been found, but police have charged a man with her murder. Uh, that's yet to go to trial. So it is rare, but it does happen. In the same vein, there have been some cases like Irena Asher and Quentin Goodwin, where a coroner has declared a missing person dead when there is no body. In May of 1992, Quentin Godman left a note at home indicating he was going to Piha to end his life. But he returned home, reporting to the driver who ferried him from Piha that he had second thoughts. Five days later, he vanished, never to be seen again. Over the next few years, there would be sightings of Quentin. Posters up put up all over New Zealand, but all these leads came to nothing. In February of 2014, an inquest concluded Quentin was dead, even though there was no evidence to prove this. How did they come up with a decision like that? Yeah, look, it's a pretty hard one for everyone. The coroner's got to look at all of the evidence that police have found. That they, you know, they spend a lot of time speaking to family, the people that saw them last, looking into their medical, psychiatric, all of their history to sort of look at the bigger picture and come to a conclusion. And 
sometimes the conclusion is this person has died and we don't know how and why, but there's no evidence that they remain alive. And in cases like Irena Asher and Quentin Goblin, I covered both of those inquests and it was a case of looking at all of the evidence. The highest likelihood was that, you know, Irena went into the sea and drowned and that uh, Quentin took his own life and his body is just somewhere that hasn't been stumbled upon yet. It's hard for the families because even with that ruling, you know, the families might not agree with it. And even if they do, there's still a lot of unknown, you know, where they went, what their last moments were. And then for other families, having that coronial decision made is a closure for them. It's a really hard process. And, you know, speaking to people that have been through it, it does give them some closure, but also there are still so many questions unanswered and probably will remain that way. Anna, what hope is there for people that still have family and friends missing? And how much resource is there going into looking at their disappearances? Like, should people still be holding out that they might one day find out what happened to their loved one? Or is this something that police don't have enough resources and time to invest in? Look, a lot of these sort of colder cases aren't actively investigated, but they are open. So when new information comes forward... And often that happens when they appear on, you know, like a a television true crime show or a reward is offered. Um, So police will act on new leads when they come in. I know that in the case of Amber Lee, police get calls every now and then and every tip is followed up. And they always say to me, it will just take that one phone call, that one piece of information. In most of these cases, someone out there does know something and it's just a case of them finding the right time in their life to pick up that phone and let someone know. You know, Amber Lee, Brianna's mum, have both said that they're not bothered about anything other than getting their babies home. There's no focus for them on what well, there is focus, but it's not their priority getting justice and a conviction. It's just they want to bring their daughters home and know where they are and bury them and say goodbye properly. And for some families, there is hope that that will happen. I mean, there's hope for all of these missing people that they will be found one day. But it's just so hard for the families to sit and wait for that to happen. Just finally, Anna, throughout your years as a reporter, have you ever covered any cases where, say, someone's been missing for a period of years and a body is finally found and the family can get answers? Yeah, there's one that, again, really sticks with me. It's the case of Jane Furlong. We've recently done an episode of A Moment of Crime on her case. Um, Now, she went missing in the 90s, she was a, a teenage mum trying to get her life on track and she was dabbling in sex work and she went missing from K Road in Auckland. Police very quickly realised that was foul play and that she'd likely been abducted and killed. And it was about 19 years to the day when remains were found out at Sunset Beach in Port Waikato and uh, it turned out to be Jane. And now she'd been buried in the sand dunes out there for you know almost 20 years so for her family it was a huge relief getting home they were able to have a funeral say goodbye to her but her mum has openly said that she's given up hope of ever finding out what happened to Jane but that was one case where you know as a journalist covering that speaking to her mum for anniversaries and things you just thought oh you know will they ever find this girl and then all of a sudden a dog walker on the beach spots human remains um in the sand dunes and it all sort of explodes and you've got a body back and you've got a mystery sort of partially solved. So there is hope for these families out there and it's just going to take someone being in the right place at the right time and finding evidence or someone coming forward 
for whatever reason and giving the police the information they need to resolve these cases. Thanks for joining us, Anna. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Ethan Sills. Paddy Fox is the sound engineer. I'm Katie Harris. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.